Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. The Washington Metro Area Transit Authority, WMATA, runs the D.C. Metro system, a powerful economic engine for the national capital region, connecting residents in the state of Maryland, the Commonwealth of Virginia, and the District of Columbia to jobs, housing, entertainment, and schools, while providing transit service for close to 20 million visitors each year. In 2018, Metro achieved a milestone with the creation of the authority's first dedicated capital funding. The capital investments the authority seeks to undertake in the coming years will focus on improving the safety, reliability, and affordability of its operations. By focusing resources on rebuilding, reforming, and improving Metro, this transit system can adapt and grow to meet the needs of this dynamic region. What role does information technology play in making this a reality? And how is WMATA using technology and innovation to enhance its customers' experience and improve its operations? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Al Short, Chief Information Officer at the Washington Metro Area Transit Authority, WMATA. Also joining our conversation from IBM is John Joaquin. Al, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Great. Glad to be here. John, welcome. Thank you. So, Al, before we get into specific initiatives, could you give us a brief overview of the history and mission of the Washington Metro Area Transit Authority, also known as WMATA? Sure. So, Metro is was formed in 1967 by a, a tri-jurisdictional compact and an act of Congress. And so starting in 1967, we started to work on putting together the railroad. And then eventually in the, in the in early 70s, we took on some of the bus transit agencies that are in the metro area. And that started to form the nucleus of, of what became metro today. Today, we are about 1,500 buses, 118 miles of rail uh, across the uh, area. We support the entire DMV area, about a million trips a day between our various modes of transportation, which includes bus and rail, but also metro transit, which is our paratransit mm-hmm. uh, operation associated with metro, or the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. Which we all know as metro down here. So, But um, so your office supports a very important mission. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about um, your office and how is it organized and how does it support the mission of WMATA? Okay. The the IT department for Metro is part of what is known as inter, internal business operations. And so I report to an, e, an EVP who reports to the GM, and so I meet with the GM on a regular basis as, as part of our initiatives from an IT perspective. But my organization is responsible from everything from fiber optic right-of-ways along the railroad to your standard ERP or enterprise resource planning sorts of applications associated with finance and procurement and HR to the public-facing website. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of you in the metro area would know Smart Trip and Smart Benefits associated with our transit benefit sort of applications, the Smart Trip card, the metro card that you use to get on and off of buses and rail, 
to the railroad operations control system, which is associated with actually running the, the, the running rail and, and the system associated with the trains. So it's a, a gamut of applications. Uh, it's a 24 by 7 operation uh, made up of about uh, 600 plus professionals that are broken between contractors and uh, full-time employees. So you kind of touched on it, but your specific responsibilities and duties, what's, what's a week in the life of the, of the Metro CIO? So day-to-day, it, it varies. So uh, as an example, today was in a, a safety meeting where we went over all of the most recent safety incidents and some of the applications associated with what's going on from our bus operators, our train operators, safety incidents and that sort of thing to looking at the capital program from the standpoint of what we might be doing as far as the next station's shutdown, uh, large-scale uh, capital investments from repairing systems and technology associated with railroad operations, uh, talking about human capital management and how we're doing e-performance for the authority. Uh, one of the GM's priorities is uh, to become a employer of choice in the metropolitan area, so we're really looking for different ways that we can improve our onboarding process, how we manage our bringing uh, applicants in. We're always hiring. We have a c- constant flow of uh, staff coming through, and it's so every day is usually brings four or five different opportunities to have a conversation around different sorts of areas where we need to improve things for the authority or where we need to put in place different technology solutions or how IT supports and, and makes things happen from a technology perspective. What are some of your top three management challenges that you face and how have you sought to address those challenges? Well, I think that, first of all, uh, the, just the breadth and scope of what we do from an IT perspective so one of the things that we really tried to work on is put together a management team that focuses in on the particular areas of, of need from a, a WMATA perspective. So infrastructure and operations is, is a key area for us, and those are the folks that are out there uh, supporting railroad operations. For an example, we're out there on the railroad inspecting every phone every 800 feet along the railroad, all 118 miles. We inspect every phone twice a year to make sure that they're operational and associated with that. So infrastructure and operations merged together the network team, networking team and the data center operations team to bring together those teams together. Uh, cybersecurity is another major focus of the authority. We really want to see become a center of excellence. And so that was a, a big key area from my perspective to when I went into the marketplace to find a new CISO for, for the authority. Have, have a very focused and uh, definitive individual in that spot who's really brought a lot of uh, rigor to the team, redefined the entire organization, and put together a whole roadmap on how we're going to move forward from a cybersecurity perspective. And then, not certainly not last but not least, is our application side of the house. We have all these different applications we support. I mentioned some of them before, but it also includes things like mobile applications, the website, we do internal operational technologies for uh, what we call the generalized ordered track rights systems or goaders. If you think about our window of opportunity for our staff to go out on the railroad and do work associated with repairing the systems and, and the uh, track beds, you know, railroad ties, whatever it might be, 
they have to reserve time so that we can make sure that the operations control center has gotten the trains cleared and managed and that sort of thing. And so that's an, a very important part about how we manage our railroad operations and associated with making sure that the right people have the right access and at the same time that the operators in the control room know to clear the trains out where, where work is being done. So it's both a safety and a, and a security sort of thing. And if you think about it, we only have a few hours every night for somebody to go out there and, and turn a wrench or, and make a change to, to that railroad. So that's very key for us to really have be very crisp about getting everybody out there on the railroad as quickly as possible, get the work started, and then be able to clean up and finish up before the start of service the next morning. Well, you've uh, sure managed a lot of complexity in your organization from an uh, IT perspective. During your tenure, is there something that surprised you most? I think that uh, the operation, uh, we find ourselves in conversations on a regular basis, and I've been there almost three years now, where, wow, we do that? We have that kind of a responsibility? You know, if you look at it uh, under our compact, as an example, our Metro, Metro Transit Police Department has responsibilities across all three jurisdictions. They're, they have police powers in both Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. And we have an entire police force. And it's more than just the, the folks that you might see out there on the, on the railroad with the badge and that sort of thing. You have bicycle cops. You have a SWAT team. You have bomb-sniffing dogs. And so there's a whole support infrastructure that we have around that. And then from a safety management perspective, we have safety management systems that we support. So every day, it's um, something new and different. I always found out just recently that if you lay out all of our fiber end-to-end that we support, we have 2 million miles of fiber along the, along the right-of-ways. Uh, another example is, is that the IT organization brings in um, something on the order of $10-plus million a year in revenue for the authority oh, through leasing of right-of-way to huh. various carriers in, in the area. So, you know, if you think about all of that dedicated right-of-way we have across the DMV area, uh, it's a very valuable resource for the authority. And as we move forward with the Silver Line Phase 2, we expect that to even be a greater benefit. As some folks might know, Ashburn, which is Virginia, which is near where our new railroad uh, extension will be going out there, is one of the concentrators of, and hubs for the Internet. And so there are literally tens of thousands of square feet of data center, if not hundreds of thousands of square feet of data center out there that potentially can take advantage of that right away that we have available. So, Al, would you tell us more about yourself? How'd you get into IT and you know, a little bit of the personal side? Love to know. You know, I talk a little bit about this when uh, meeting with new employees or as, as we have uh, all-hands meetings and that sort of thing, because I sometimes get the questions like, well, how did you get into IT? What did you do? What was your career trajectory? And one of the things I like to really focus with folks is to say, you have to be open to opportunities when they present themselves because you don't necessarily know where something is going to lead. For example, I first got into information technology as a result of working in a pizza place. So I was a um, going to school during the day and working nights at a pizza place, you know, making pizzas on a regular basis. And it just so happened that one of the delivery drivers was a computer operator who was moonlighting. And he said, hey, we have an open entry-level position coming available. Maybe you should apply. You have you seem to have a little bit of a technical bend. Maybe you would, would find this of interest. And so 
Three months later, I was a computer tape librarian, and that's how I got into IT. I won't say how many decades ago that was, <laughs> but it was uh, quite a while ago. But that was sort of how I got into it. And then I went back to school and, and finished out my degree in computer science and continued to move up the ranks into various IT jobs. And then sort of another one of those opportunities came along when in uh, working at a, co- a nationwide insurance, if I may say. Sure. Uh, when a uh, phone next to me in the cube next to me rang, I picked up the phone, and a gentleman was calling for one of my uh, co-workers, and I said, sorry, he's not available. May I take a message? And he said, no, I'll call back, but so tell me, Al, what do you do? Turns out he was a headhunter looking for, for folks, and uh, three months later, I was working in Northern Virginia after working in Columbus, Ohio, and born and raised in Columbus. And if I, if I may add one more anecdote along those lines. So I was working for a, a large independent software vendor, ISV, as we used to call them back in the days, that would develop software for IBM mainframe systems, company that actually had brought me to, to Northern Virginia. And we had had a, a, a buyout by another vendor, which I will, won't name, <laughs> um, but it was turning into an organization where it wasn't quite the same sort of entrepreneurial spirit and focus on, on delivering good results for customers. It was all about ways to, to scrape revenue off of uh, our existing customer base. And uh, so I was talking to uh, somebody in the coffee room, and she, and she said, oh, my husband happens to work for a AOL, and they're they're looking for somebody who to project manage the launch of AOL Japan. Would you be interested in maybe doing something like that? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> and so three months later, approximately, two months later, actually, I'm standing in front of our joint venture partners talking about how we're going to launch Japan, uh, AOL in Japan. That's sort of yeah. one, just one of those opportunities that presented itself and being open to, to having the conversation. Uh- how do you lead, and what characteristics, given you, what you've just explained, your career path and and, and the leadership roles you've taken, um, both here and globally, I, I would assume, mm-hmm. uh, what makes an effective leader? What principles have guided your leadership style? You know, like a lot of um, technology folks that started out as a practitioner who got moved into management, uh, I needed some some guidance and training and. From, from a leadership perspective. And so I, I went through some courses and I found situational leadership was something for me that, that really resonated. And um, for those of you who are not familiar with situational leadership, it really comes down to trying to present a leadership style based off of the individual's capabilities and where they're at in their particular job. So if you're working with somebody who's very accomplished and has been doing their job for a while, typically it's more about so, John, tell me how you would solve this problem. Here's the problem that we have. Well, what do you want to do? How do you want to deal with it? Whereas where somebody else who may be relatively new in a role or is, has been put into a new position or something more inexperienced, you might be more directive with them mm-hmm. and, and say, you know, here are my thoughts. You might want to do A, B, and C to get started or reach out to this individual or that individual to, to start down the path of, of trying to solve that problem. And so really uh, there's this... 
um, sort of S curve associated with it, uh, almost a sine curve associated with how you approach the problem with the individual and how you lead a particular team. But I think it's very important to surround yourself with diverse opinions and diverse viewpoints because I really feel that you may have a lot of experience, and I certainly have had a lot of experience, but those different ideas and different perspectives really can sometimes gel into a a completely different path than you would have thought you would have taken originally when the the opportunity was presented to you. And so I think that that is one aspect of, uh, I think is important from a leadership perspective is to surround yourself with people that aren't like you, Mm -hmm. that are going to challenge you on your presumptions and where you want to go rather than just, oh, yes, Al, whatever you want to do, you know, we'll, we'll take your direction. What is the IT strategy for the Washington Metro Area Transit Authority? We will ask its CIO, Al Short, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Al Short. Chief Information Officer at the Washington Metro Area Transit Authority, WMATA. Also joining us from IBM is John Joaquin. So, Al, uh, IT is critical to the success and execution of the Washington uh, Metro Area Transit Authority, WMATA. Um, Would you give us an overview or outline your IT priorities, your strategic vision for IT at Metro? Um, What are they? So I happen to have have brought a a page out of my strategic plan with me just so I could refer to it. Mm -hmm. But I think from our perspective, you know, the the GM came in a few years ago and his focus was, first of all, on safety. Mm -hmm. And then once we got through safety and and, and the the safe track effort, we really tried to go back and and repair a lot of the the infrastructure that that needed uh, addressing. Uh, then he started to move toward this idea of back to good. And, and really that's about investing in the infrastructure and, and, and in the systems to, to bring us back to what we are, you know, the area would perceive us as a good provider of transit services. And so from an IT perspective, you know, we're looking at it from the standpoint of what we need to do from an infrastructure perspective to from a technology perspective where we need to go to refresh, first of all, our technology stack mm-hmm. as we start to, you know, sort of reinvesting in, in the, the hardware and the, and the software applications. I don't know, our existing enterprise resource planning software ERP stack is going to be end of life in the mid 20s. As you can imagine, for an organization of our size, 12,000 employees, 17,000 employees and contractors in total, that's a big lift. You know, millions of dollars in revenue that have to be managed and billions of dollars in procurements on a regular basis. And so we're trying to position ourselves for that uh, ERP replacement. And then well, throw some buzzwords out, but I'll explain them. Um, we, t- you know, there's a lot of talk now about the intelligent Internet of Things or IIoT, mm-hmm. and how we need to to uh, respond to that from a standpoint of big data and and analytics. And so we're looking to invest in data management solutions, and also looking to invest in a data lake enterprise decision support system, sort of taking business intelligence sort of from its traditional dashboards and, and, and certainly continue to support and 
put more into those, but also that next step of being able to draw inferences out of what is coming in from all these new data sources that we're putting out. Because, you know, 20 years ago, you installed a fan in a fan shaft, and it, it was on, off, exhaust, or uh, supply, right? Four bits of information that come out of that fan. Now, you install that a fan in a fan shaft, and it's going to tell you about temperature and RPMs and the number of hours and certainly those bits of information we had before, but all kinds of other information about how it's performing. You multiply that by the hundreds of fans, hundreds of other types of devices, literally thousands and tens of thousands of sensors, if you think about where we're going with our rolling stock, it's essentially a, a, a multiple computer systems and multiple computer networks on wheels. There's well over 80 different software components on one of our modern rail cars that are associated with running down, down the rail. And so we really need to establish an infrastructure to be able to process that data at the edge as appropriate, uh, edge intelligence, bring that in and, and work towards supporting what we're trying to do from a maintenance perspective, really going to a reliability-centered maintenance sort of program, or RCMP, where you're uh, based off of the performance and the characteristics of, of how that particular application or, or, excuse me, that particular piece of technology is doing, deciding what kind of maintenance you think about it from the airline industry, you probably have seen the, the commercials from the, the manufacturers where they talk about, oh, the engine on the way over the, from, from, from Chicago to L.A. sends a notification to the infrastructure to say, hey, I, this part is going to fail in X number of hours. So when the plane lands in L.A., they have the part there so they can go ahead and repair that airplane engine. We want to be able to do the same thing with our railroad infrastructure and our bus infrastructure and those sorts of things to be able to say, how do we preserve the investment and the uh, dedicated funding that we've been able to successfully garner from the jurisdictions and be able to make the best investment in that support of those uh, technologies and those systems that are out there. You know, there's one thing I m missed in asking you about is how, how is Metro or WMATA funded? Do you, I mean, it may not be outside of your scheme, but I was just wondering if you could sort of elucidate on that. We were fortunate enough uh, last year to garner uh, dedicated funding from uh, the three jurisdictions okay. that support us. And so um, that has made a significant uh, difference in how us as an organization can go forward from a planning perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we obviously bring in revenues, but we also have direct funding from, from the jurisdictions and the federal government through various grants. Mm -hmm. So though, those capital investments, mm -hmm. and so we're, you know, we're trying to ramp up to be able to support a $1.5 billion capital program every year. And, when, and, you know, this is going from an organization that used to spend seven to $800 million a year and so you think about that, just doubling in size from the standpoint of the capital budget, the different programs that you have in place, and then trying to look at and how you're going to take advantage of that wonderful opportunity and, and look at the different sorts of investments. And it rolls down on systems, on how you need to manage that, how you do a, a rolling capital program. Well, I'd like to follow up a little on that. Um, you know, you have a bigger uh, funding stream now. Mm -hmm. I know I, I'm a big fan. I 
rode the metro here today and interested in how you guys are looking to attract younger riders because I believe there was some fall off in that age category, if you will. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I mentioned earlier in the conversation about we want to be a, 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 a employer of choice. The other uh, area that we want to focus on is a transit provider of choice. And so really we're looking, you know, whether you're talking about the uh, transit network companies, the TNCs, uh, looking at how we can partner with them to be able to support that first mile, last mile uh, sort of uh, trip. We talk a little bit in terms of the idea that if I'm going from my home to, let's say, a party in downtown D.C., and I want to plan my trip, we want to be able to say, okay, you might take, let's say, a, a scooter from your home to the metro station, and then you ride metro, and then you get off of get off of metro and then maybe you take a metro bus and then maybe that last mile you walk or if it's raining maybe you you've brought in you know an uber or a lyft to to take you to that location but we want to be able to have a seamless experience for you as far as how you plan your journey and and make it as as flexible as possible and i think that part of that is being in that mobile space to be able to respond to the online uh, individuals and, and those folks that are on their phones and, mm-hmm. and give them uh, options and show that we are a, an opportunity and way for them to. Yeah. Well, that, that's uh, great. Uh, and that, that must require a lot of uh, investment and in infrastructure from a technology perspective. Can you uh, discuss kind of what you're doing in that area, modernization of, of the infrastructure, if you will? Sure. So, Part of uh, what we're trying to do from an infrastructure perspective is, is put the necessary reporting out in through transparent data sets and through what's called the um, data feed specification, GTFS. Uh, it was an open source standard that Google had originally developed for transit. Mm-hmm. And so what we are doing in that area is providing those feeds out into the community. And so, you know, there are other folks that have developed their own apps that, that ingest that data, but and so do the TNCs and that sort of thing to be able to provide route and, and planning around our assets. But at the same time, we're also looking for providing a better connected experience for the rider. So one of the things that we completed as part of our back to good efforts was we now have Wi-Fi available to all of our customers and in, in all of our stations above ground and, and underground. And we're looking to, to go to the next level of that, of, of what we could potentially do from the standpoint of uh, onboard our trains and on our buses, and being able to provide that Wi-Fi experience so people would uh, be able to, to leverage that as part of their, their experience. And coming back to this idea of ubiquitous Wi-Fi is sort of a given for a lot of folks, and they expect to be able to have that available to them as, from a technology perspective. But also, if we take a step back and talk about the back-end infrastructure, putting in place tools and technology for our, our um, staff so that they can be better effective, we're, we're working on a project that we call MetroDocs, where we're going to put handheld devices into our 
workers' hands such that they can look at the latest version of that specification or that policy document or whatever and be able to make sure that when we send out a new, let's say, new safety instruction that they affirmatively respond. They've read it because they now have that latest version. They don't have to go searching for that information. We're trying to provide other tools and technologies into the hands of those workers to, for example, flexibility and interaction with our work order system. So someone can take a picture of a cracked rail and send that back as part of that work order so that the person who's going to come out and do that repair has that picture and that sort of thing. You know, we're investing in our uh, uh, GIS systems and our applications. We have mapped all of our assets above ground and underground into our asset management system. So you can literally, on a map, pull up a in a GIS map and say, show me all the assets that are associated with this particular rail, rail station. You can get a list view of everything that's there. And so oh, I want to show me on the map where fan shaft XYZ is in station, you know, JO3. And we can zoom in on that map and, and show you on that application where that's at. So there's some changes coming to uh, WMATA. You're moving your headquarters and you're consolidating facilities. And I think part of that's a right. data center consolidation. Can you uh, touch on that? So first of all, I th- you know, we're, we're really looking forward to this opportunity to, to move into our new uh, headquarters facilities. And so what we're really looking to do is establish three facilities and that are going to be uh, coming back to this employer of choice, uh, really a modern office environment. Uh, the current building that we're in, uh, the Jackson Graham building in, in downtown D.C., um, as an example, um, you know, that it's part of that original infrastructure build-out of, of the authority from the, from the mid-'70s, and so it's due for some work. You know, we, we have this uh, opportunity to move into these new facilities, and so we're looking to vacate the Jackson Graham building eventually over time and, and, and move into a headquarters that will be in, in uh, LaFont and then both new facilities in v, uh, Virginia and, and Maryland, uh, also associated with moving our staff and trying to consolidate. So we have folks spread out all over the, the DMV area and to bring them together. But coming back to the, the data center question, so if you think about the sort of infrastructure that was used to support the original railroad, there was a lot of um, infrastructure that was brought into the Jackson Graham building. So it's a natural location for a data center and a what we call a central office. All of our uh, uh, fiber comes in to, to that location. And so we're looking to establish a new new facility in, in Northern Virginia to replace that uh, a modern state-of-the-art uh, data center sort of infrastructure. We want to have redundancy between that and our uh, other data center facility because although we are certainly focused on all the different modern technologies that are out there, cloud or whatever it might be, we have this very important uh, physical infrastructure we need to support. Yeah. And it's one thing to say, oh, gee, you know, our cloud email system may not be available for a few hours because, you know, we've lost connectivity to a provider or whatever. Mm-hmm. But really can't have that conversation about a railroad operational control system. You, we, we need to be able to run that 24 by 7, 365. I've talked to a lot of CIOs, both in the federal space and in, in, in municipalities, and they're always talking about ERP. They're talking about the they're going beyond modernization mm-hmm. towards transformation. And I just want to get 
from your perspective, given what we talked about, and if you wanted to touch on your cloud uh, migration strategy and where you are there, that'd be great. But from your perspective, why is it important to go beyond modernization to transformation? And where I'm going with this is creating an environment that is both flexible and scalable. And I think you hinted at it a little mm-hmm. bit with the digital technologies, the I- IOCT. So where are you there? So um, one of the things that um, we've been working toward is the establishment of a digital technology governance advisory board. And, yeah, it's a lot of words. Yes. (laughs) But we we were very deliberate in our choice of digital technology rather than, saying information technology because, Mm -hmm. you know, all of our assets are becoming digitized. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about our escalators – Right, there are programmable logic controllers (PLCs) that are associated with running that. There is a, actually, an elevator and escalator operation center where they they get reporting about all these devices out there. Fun fact: the largest escalator fleet in North America is run by Wamata. So, as we see it, there is these series of technologies that are being deployed on the railroad. All these intelligent devices, and we really need to be able to interact with those, support those, and provide the tools and technologies that our management and our workers need to be able to manage and support what's going on, whether you're talking about uh, buses or metro transit vehicles or MTP police officers, whatever they're doing. And so uh, we try to look at each investment from the standpoint of what makes the best sense from the balancing not only the this wonderful capital stream that we have available to us, which kind of influences our, our investment strategy from the standpoint of operational monies versus capital monies. And so we haven't talked about this, but one of the things that the, the authority in response to this wonderful uh, opportunity coming to us from a capital perspective, we have what's called a 3% challenge. And so the authority is trying to maintain our operating expense growth to only 3% per annum. This is on an organization that typically would increase by 7 to 8% per year. And so we'll, we'll take a look at investment decisions and, and how we can do things to say, how can we invest to reduce our operating expenses? And that goes to not only from a technology perspective, but efficiencies that we could potentially gain. And so whereas a a more traditional um, organization who's more funded from an operating side may say, oh, well, cloud computing, I can just pay by the drink. Well, Mm -hmm. that may be appropriate from the standpoint of that operating spend sort of situation. But when you start to to talk about, oh, I'm trying to maintain a 3% growth cap, maybe we want to invest in physical infrastructure ourselves that allow us to then keep the the, the costs on our side and reduce that that maintenance investment. So transformation, you know, I didn't want to lose sight of that sort of higher level conversation. So when we talk about where the transit industry is going, is, is really about trying to take advantage of big data and analytics to be able to make better business decisions, uh, understanding your ridership, understanding what your customers are doing, and then try to provide services and functions that that better meet where they want to be and what they want to do. You know, we have, um, as we said, about a million trips a day 
uh, in metro across all of our different modes of transportation. But at the same time, you know, there's there's pressures on that, you know, whether it's people wanting to work from home, teleworking, those sorts of things, you know, that certainly had an impact. If you if you ride the metro system, you can certainly see the difference between Mondays and Tuesdays, mm-hmm. right, or Thursdays from Fridays, uh, just because of that teleworking population. And if we're trying to really become uh, this transit provider of choice, we need to be able to have good intelligence about our ridership, what they're doing, how they're doing, providing them the fair products and the tools that really allow them to take best advantage of what we have to offer. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is to be able to provide safe, reliable, consistent transportation, and one of the ways that you enable that is through technology. Well, given the evolving nature of cybersecurity threats out in the industry and what you're seeing in state and local governments, could you talk about what you're seeing and what you're doing to safeguard your enterprise? Sure. So, uh, WMATA is considered um, Department of Homeland Security Critical Infrastructure, Uh, as you can imagine in, in certain events, um, we would be a very significant provider of services in, to, you know. So what we started to do when um, coming on board and I started to look at, at what we were doing from a cybersecurity perspective, um, most recently before coming to WMATA, I was the cybersecurity director for the Maryland Department of Transportation. I had that uh, position for about a year and really sort of changed my perspective on what we need to do from a transit infrastructure and and a cybersecurity perspective. So working with uh, my new CISO who came in 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 October of of last year, we sat down and and said, look, we really want to put together a program that makes us a center of excellence from a cybersecurity perspective and at the same time truly tries to address these critical infrastructure needs. So we, we looked and said, okay, we're going to move forward with the NIST National Institutes of Standards and Technologies Risk Management Framework, mm-hmm. or for everybody who's in the federal sector, uh, NIST RMF, yep. and implement that framework and start to evaluate our, our systems from that perspective. And then we sat down and looked at the private sector and said, so, you know, if you look at the large banking institutions and some of the large corporations that are associated with the investments they're making, and then we sat down with management and said, well, here's what they're doing as percentage of revenue or percentage of employees or percentage of infrastructure, whatever metric you want to look at, and say, we're really not where we need to be from a cybersecurity perspective. And that business case resonated with with senior management, and we were able to uh, get in a in a restricted environment thirty additional uh, staff, and so we were able to basically double the size of my cybersecurity organization. And as part of that, then we were able to establish a whole career path and set up new job descriptions, and uh, really redefine cybersecurity from the standpoint of WMATA. And so we're in the process of a big hiring effort right now to, to fill all those new positions that, that we've opened up and uh, having some, some good success in the marketplace. And because, as I said, we're critical infrastructure, but, but also we, you know, we're a very varied infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
all of that is something that we need to protect from a, from a cybersecurity perspective. And I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, our, our most recent trains are essentially uh, computers that are, are rolling. Uh, not only the, the visible stuff to our, our customers, but also um, a lot of the, the technology. And if you, you know, I, a few years ago, I bought a, um, a new vehicle and I was shocked when I was reading the owner's manual that there was a five-computer LAN on board that, com- that, that vehicle that was controlling all the different systems. You think about that today with, with the bus fleet or, or Metro Access fans or whatever it may be, we have that sort of, sort of infrastructure. And so all of it needs to be uh, controlled and protected and, and uh, assessed from a cybersecurity perspective. How is WMATA using technology to improve the customer experience? We will ask its CIO, Al Short, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Al Short, Chief Information Officer at the Washington Metro Area Transit Authority, WMATA. Also joining us from IBM is John Joaquin. So, you know, Al, you mentioned earlier about the importance of uh, the customer experience, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the whole transit life cycle, if you will. What other enhancements are you looking at on the horizon that would improve the customer experience? Well, I think that one key item that, that we're working on that we have already talked a little bit about in the, in the marketplace is a, a mobile app for our customers. I, I'm sure that some of the, the audience is probably going, oh, gee, another mobile app. <laughs> um, but, but really what we're trying to do is provide something of, of real value to the customer with that. And what we're talking about now is instead of you having to have the Smart Trip card, you will have a, an application on your phone that will be able to put you through the fare gates. You'll be able to add money to it. It'll be eventually hooked into your smart benefits and your transit benefits, and you'll be able to use that on our system. So you'll be able to plan your trip and pay for your trip with with that mobile app. And so we think that that is a, a game changer from our perspective. Really is, yeah. You'll be able to um, walk up to a fare gate and put your phone on uh, on that target and be able to go through. And speaking of fare gates, um, we're in the process of... Um, going to be rolling out new fare gates. Oh. That'll be something in a, in, a, in a couple of years that you'll start to see those rolling out. Obviously, the Silver Line Phase 2, when it comes online, that's going to be a big extension of our, our services. It's coming back to that customer experience and the whole mobile app and that sort of thing. You know, we have 20 million visitors a year in the D.C. metro area. And when you think about that, a lot of those folks, they're not going to necessarily want to go up to one of our ticket vending machines and, you know, oh, gee, how do I navigate this interface? How do I, you know, a credit card and then I have to pay for the card and then I have to pay for the trip and then how much money do I need to put on that and, and all those sorts of things. Well, now we can say, well, download the app, put the money on there, hook it into your wallet. And the nice thing about it is it, it's, it's a virtual sort of situation. And for those of you who have been through a... A, an experience in your coffee house of choice with your, your mobile phone, um, you can think about that being the same sort of a, uh, experience with our fare gates or with our bus. 
changing subjects a little, um, there's a big initiative here in the area um, run by the Greater Washington Board of Trade that's bringing yeah, the business community, governments, academia, uh, and a, a lot of effort around you know, making a smart region where it's not just these little deployments here and there, but they're well integrated. And I, and I see WMOD as a critical part of that. Can you talk to that? Sure. So the, uh, uh, hopefully the, the Board of Trade has already announced it, but it's the Connected DMV you. is the name. So uh, this is a smart region, smart, smart, smart city sort of initiative. Um, we recently had a, a meeting with the Council of Governments, uh, the CIO's consortium for the Council of Governments, where uh, the Board of Trade came in and talked a little bit about, about what they're doing. So I was there with uh, my peer CIOs from around the, the DMV region, along with the office of the chief technology officer for the District of Columbia. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about where that's going. We're considered a strategic partner because of our the transit provider in, in the region, and obviously we we also support. Speaking of things that surprise us about what we do as a transit agency, uh, we provide the fare management services for a number of the regional bus, so Fairfax mm-hmm. and, and Montgomery County and those sorts of things. They actually use our fare management system. If you think about that smart trip card, mm-hmm. yeah. you can use it on their fleet. How do you yeah. enable that is through having one application back in to be able to support all that. So if you think about uh, coming way back around to when we were talking about my remit, that's one of those other things that was like, oh, wow, I didn't, not only do I support WMATA, but I support these other regional partners as part of our... Mm-hmm. So, so are you actively involved in Connect DMV? Yeah, Connected DMV. Connected. So, yes, as a matter of fact, um, several, uh, you know, there's a, a fairly large contingent from uh, OMADA perspective that are participating in this, but uh, certainly my enterprise architect uh, is a key player uh, looking at the, at the infrastructure. And we see this as, as just one more opportunity for us to be able to support that goal of being a transit provider of, of choice. And you start carrying that to, to logical sorts of next steps. You think about, well, what does a connected region mean? Well, you means that you have things like bus rapid transit. You have traffic signal priority associated mm-hmm. with the buses and being able to move people around. Uh, you have maybe intelligent bus stops that are out there that are providing information about the number of riders, information about the weather in particular locations and that sort of thing. And so you can help to drive how the region uh, commutes and moves around in, in better ways. And certainly, um, given the amount of commute time and congestion that we have in the area, you know, anything that we can do to improve and, and speed people's commutes, you know, I, I think that our traveling with Metro is, is certainly a much more efficient than driving your own vehicle. I do appreciate the, the mobility of having your own vehicle, but we want to make that trip as seamless and as easy as possible so that you are more likely to leave the car at home and, and leverage Metro as, mm-hmm. as a way to, to, to navigate the city. Well, I, I would say that I, I think Metro is a key part of this initiative because you've kind of navigated the multi-jurisdictional issues that are out there that kind of keep you know, the greater D.C. area from collaborating and really working together. So I look forward to seeing uh, how this all plays out. Yeah, I think that 
you know, the council of governments and the CIOs that are participants in that, I think we have a really good working relationship and understanding of, of what we provide and, and working together. You know, this connected DMV solution allows us to move into a different space. I mean, there's always been a lot of focus on public safety and how things, that aspect of how we interchange information and, you know, provide interconnectivity among the various uh, law enforcement and public safety organizations in the in the region. And so we think this will be a big part of that next step around Seems that. Like it. Well, um, thinking about a, a different area, but something you've already a little bit touched on is uh, could you speak to workforce development, how you're recruiting and retaining employees? This is a, you know, a low unemployment area, a very competitive job market. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts there? Well, you know, I think that there's probably at least a twofold response to, to that. You know, one of the things that we recognize from a, from a technology perspective is, is that we're not necessarily always going to be able to compete with the private sector from a, from a salary perspective. I think we're, we're pretty competitive against, let's say, the federal sector or, or other um, government sorts of agencies. But at the same time, you know, we want to invest in the workforce so that they feel like they can come in, advance in their career, learn new technologies, uh, be able to um, see a net benefit to them. And if, you know, if they move on after three to five years, that's okay from my perspective. Uh, I certainly am not advocating anyone to leave from that perspective, but it's more from the standpoint of a realization that IT professionals have always been more fluid and mobile in, in the job aspects. And so this is just recognizing that, that even in something where traditionally in transit and government people come in and they'll spend 20, 25 years in, in one organization, really from an IT perspective, you really can't do that. But at the same time, I want to offer training, working on, on, on technologies that are exciting in industry, interesting, such that they are willing to invest with us and spend the time with us and, and give them challenging projects to work on. And I think we have a lot of opportunities in there. You know, we talked about the mobile app. We talked about ERP replacement. We talked about, you know, enterprise decision support systems. But... Uh, reliability-centered maintenance. These are all sort of those kinds of buzzwords that, that are out there in the industry. Uh, and But at the same time, there's some reality to that. You can talk about the hype cycle and, and where these things are, but we see, you know, AI. You know, I have some folks that are, are analyzing, like, our customer support stuff with AI technology to try to glean out from that um, better understanding of what people are saying and, and, and talking about from a social media perspective rather than just sort of like, oh, this radio button versus that radio button. I'm unhappy with my trip. I'm okay with my trip. You know, you know try to get some um, uh, sensate analysis out of that. From your perspective, Al, how has the role of the chief information officer evolved? And what are some of the characteristics that make a CIO successful today? Well, I'm sure that um, other individuals would probably – who have sat in this chair and, and probably responded to a similar question would probably say the, something to what I'm similar to what I'm going to say. But I think it's important for the CIO to be a partner to the business. It's it's critical for us to show what the value add is 
and that we're there to enable their business needs and what they need to do organizationally. Um, I am not a proponent of investing in technology for technology's mm -hmm. sake, unless there's a, a need or a, a problem that that will help us to solve. So yes, we may invest in, in decision support systems or artificial intelligence or digital twinning, which is where you establish a model of a physical system and replicate what is coming in from that sensor data so you can determine whether or not there are issues with it before there's an actual issue with the physical asset. But if it doesn't help the business either run more efficiently, reduce the cost of repairs, reduce the uh, overhead, reduce shrinkage, whatever it might be, there's no, no sense of, in investing in it. And, and so that, I think, is key to being a CIO today is showing that, that you're there to provide solutions to the organization, not just about the bits and bytes guys. Uh, I'm more interested in, in trying to have a conversation about how do I solve that business problem that you're having. So you talked about today. Turning to the future, um, what are your biggest priorities over the next couple of years, and what do you hope to achieve? Well, I think that uh, certainly from a, from a technology perspective, we want to be able to make these investments that, that we've kind of discussed up to this point so that we can position to be that transit provider of choice, enable that employer of choice experience. You know, I would say that we have opportunities today of, of making that better. If you want to apply for a job with WMATA, um, I think there are ways we can facilitate that and make that a more seamless experience for you. Um, onboarding of, of staff. When you show up at your job, your uh, email set up and all your accesses are set up and, and you have your fit out from a technology perspective and, and really trying to position that such that you can be that mobile worker of the future that, that we anticipate. You know, we mentioned a little bit earlier about that we're going to have these three locations across mm -hmm. the DMV. Any one of those, not of sufficient size, that the current headquarters staff is going to be able to be in one place. So we really expect that people are going to be moving around. Mm -hmm. on a, we want to facilitate telework, but we also want to facilitate, oh, I pick up my tablet and I go into a different building. I open my tablet up and I'm on the network, yeah. right? You know, it's a seamless experience. I don't, oh, do I have to remember what my password is? And, oh, oh yeah, wait a minute, the Wi-Fi password for this building is something different, that yeah. I want to reserve a conference room, I can go reserve that, huddle spaces, all those sorts of things. And so... That's one aspect of okay. that. Uh, and, I, and I think that the other piece of that is, you know, we have some basic blocking and tackling that I kind of mentioned. We have our ERP that we have to, to look at. And so we want to be in a position to be going down that path. We're investing in our infrastructure. You know, I mentioned before we have millions of miles of, of fiber out there. But with all these new devices out there, we need to reinvest and, and add more capacity out there to be able to support all of these mm -hmm. technologies. And then we're, there's some uh, basic technology associated with how we run the railroad system that we're investing in and, and how we uh, control trains on, on, on the rails that, that we're going to be helping to facilitate going forward. Seems like a big to-do list you have there, Al. Right. Um, but uh, one thing I want to thank you for, for doing today is coming in and talking to us about it. Thank you uh, John and I would like to thank you again for being thank here. You. It's an incredible story. Thank you. 
Appreciate it. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Al Short, Chief Information Officer at the Washington Metro Area Transit Authority, WMATA. My co-host from IBM has been John Joaquin. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on exploring the intersection of government, technology, and leadership. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.